Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Welcome back to Lore Hammer Listening Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. Hey everybody, I'm your host Mark, and joining me, boom, we got a human with us. Will, welcome. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, depending on where you are and when you are. Yeah. Oh, listen to the sound of another human's voice. Isn't it nice? <laughs> I assume there are some people on that island who have gone full cannibal already and there's just no one left. No, there's some people, but they all speak Spanish, and so now I've just been chat talking to chatbot and following oh. up with it. So we'll see okay. how that goes out. Sure, sure. I'm sure that's not some sort of tech heresy that will get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, I'm excited for this episode. Uh, you are the author of, of Red Hand Weeps. We've read three parts of it before me and Dylan. Um, and we thought we'd bring you on for the final conclusion so you can sum it all up, give us the kind of refresher and all that kind of stuff. So maybe do you want to start by giving us a quick refresher of what this story is about? Uh, sure. So we're in the penultimate part. So it's, uh, we're on chapter four of five, but four basically gives us everything we know, and five is kind of going to be our, our great reveal and wrap up. Okay. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of bring it up to speed, because my God, this has been going for a while now. Uh, it's crazy to think that. Um, yeah. So, uh, part four picks up right after the end of part three. So, to give you a quick breakdown, what we know is we're, it's all set in Komara, Dark Eldar, Drakari, evil capital. Um, and an Archon, which is the, the leader of one of these great kind of cabals, which is effectively like a, a political gangster organization, his daughter has died under mysterious circumstances. And it's all about, you know, who did it, how did it happen. Yeah. Effectively, she, she died in the middle of her own orgy, along with all of her own guests. And the doors were locked from the inside. Um, the guards, you no know, swear that no one came or left. The uh, the homunculus who was in charge of resurrecting her couldn't yeah. for some reason. Yeah, um, that was a cool scene where he reaches and he's like, I can't find her soul. Like, what the? Yeah, so he, he's got her corpse. And one of the Drukhari abilities, the fact that they can kind of resurrect themselves back into their, their bodies or, or clones of their bodies or kind of the revived corpses. Basically, their spirits hang around for a while, and they can get kind of put back into a body if it's appropriate for them. But for some reason, it didn't work. And so the the Archons come back to his big old palace, because he was you know, off watching some you know, murder, torture, fun and games. And he's come back, basically called back, told his daughter died. And he kind of got the homunculus, and he also got uh, his mistress of poisons, up there telling him, right, what's the deal? What happened? What do you know? And they've explained it to him. And she's come out and she's admitted that she knows what poison killed the daughter and all the guests. Yeah. And the reason she knows that is because it's a poison that she made. Yeah. The poison she made for the Archon to use in one of his many wars many years ago. 
But yeah. theoretically, the Archon and his daughter should be immune to it. Yeah, that was the... cool. Like the the daughter was building up the immunity slowly, and she, like she, not only with that one, but also other poisons. All I think. the others, like yeah, the, the court like... poisoner's responsibility is to make sure they can't be poisoned. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> yeah. her job is to poison other people, but also there are other people whose job it is to poison everyone else. I'm only going to job... poison you a little bit. And a it little might bit. suck, but you're going to be better for it. <laughs> exactly. So she kind of had to come out and admit, like, oh, well, she was killed by a poison that I made, and theoretically, I'm in charge of making sure you can't kill her. But it has, and it's killed all her guests as well. Yeah. And, you know, as far as we know, I'm the only one with it. I'm the only one with the ingredients. What the fuck? And so the Archon decided to effectively kill all of her handmaids who were kind of witnesses to it. And he's got her kneeling on the floor, waiting to basically kill her as well. And we ended with him basically pausing with kind of a knife on her, the back of her neck, and looking up at his own homunculus, Canrick, and basically saying, well, have you also betrayed me? Yeah. That's where we stopped chapter three. Yeah. That kind of, the Archon being suspicious of everyone around him, having just killed some handmaidens, and looking very sus at his uh, homunculus. Yeah, very cool. I remember remember one point, and I'm hoping that it wasn't the story, and it wasn't something that we talked about before or after where we were going with that story. But sure. with the daughter's hand, have you introduced that yet? Like, yeah. So in okay, the yeah, second yeah. part, it was one thing that freaked out the homunculus was he spotted that a little finger had been amputated. Yeah, exactly. And so he he basically has put forward the idea that his daughter wasn't murdered, but actually was kidnapped. <laughs> what happened is somebody stole the finger and has used that to clone her body and basically kidnap her soul before yeah. they knew she was dead. And so the, the homunculus actually thinks this is a kidnapping, not a murder. Yeah, this is so cool. There's so many interesting uh, little narratives woven into here. I think if you haven't listened to it, go back into the podcast and definitely go listen to the first parts before listening to this. But uh I think yeah, oh, we, yeah, we can take it away if if you're ready. Sure, absolutely. Uh, do we want to? There are some natural breakpoints here, which have got basically dotted lines. Yeah, yeah, we can switch to show the breakpoints, so we can just jump back forth. Do you want to get us started, and then I'll? No, jump I in think you should because it has all that on? dialogue, and I think you'd do a good sure. job. Sure, uh, I can probably pronounce the names that I made. Yeah, up. yeah. The second part <laughs> doesn't look like there's anyone talking, so. You know. Sure thing. I'll I'll take the dialogue. <laughs> no worries. All right, let's jump into it. So, A Red Hand Week, Chapter 4. <clears throat> Canrick spread all four of his arms wide as his curved arachnid spine legs lowered his ancient body in the closest approximation of a low bow he was able to achieve. He forced himself to move achingly slowly, lest any too sudden a movement be perceived as a threat by the encircling bodyguards. The few servants who had accompanied him mimicked his bow. The Archon held his blade steadily against the neck of the naked, kneeling Lemian, but all his deadly attention was now focused on the homunculus. My lord, the homunculus began his response to his lord's accusatory question, his atrophied legs dangling just a hair's breadth above the stone slabs of the landing. I have failed you. This I cannot deny, but I have not betrayed you. The greatest barrier to our understanding now is death. Your daughters, her servants, her guests. 
someone has worked very hard to keep information from us. We cannot offer answers yet, but death only serves to spread this shadow of secrecy. We are honest about our failures, my lord, not because we act against you, but rather because we serve you truly. We have many questions, my lord, but only by asking them and being honest about what we know and do not know can we hope to uncover the truth. There are some truths we do know, Canrick. The Archon twisted his blade against the edge of Alessandra's neck, drawing a new line of blood. My daughter was killed by her poison. Yes, my lord, I know. But perhaps we would be best served in our investigation by isolating her, not killing her. Canrick steepled all four of his hands before him as he began to straighten his spine legs. If she has acted against you, then she has completed her task. If she is loyal, then she has provided all the information she can. In either case, her death now would only rob you of her potential source of future information or service. And why would I trust your counsel, homunculus? My lord, the longer your daughter's death remained unbeknownst to you, the longer those behind this conspiracy had to act. If I had known what awaited within your daughter's chamber, I could have left the doors sealed and claimed the guards did not allow me to disturb her. Or I could have failed to notify you of my discovery, allowing me more time to achieve whatever objective I may have had. I know that I have failed you, my lord, but you have not kept me as your court homunculus for these long centuries because you thought I was foolish. If I had wished it, you would even now still be reclining in your booth at the circus. For a long moment, the Archon remained still, before whipping away his sword and sheathing it again, and the kneeling Lemayan opened her eyes and let out a breath. For a fleeting moment, she glanced up at Canrick, and he thought he detected the slightest hint of appreciation. The Archon sneered. Canrick, oh, my calm, collective advisor. Only you could argue your innocence by proving what a competent threat you could have been. So what would you suggest? The bare tint of a smile played across the homunculus's lips. Even in failure, he was about to place himself in a position of power. It might be unusual, but I suggest that I revify the corpses of one of your daughter's servants. Reencase a commoner? A servant? Ah! The Archon clapped his hands and laughed. What a novel idea! The Archon walked to stand just before the mound of corpses, pondering for a moment. Let's do it. Get me a witness to what happened here. The Archon waved his bodyguards away from the homunculus and his accompanying racks. Canrick motioned to his servant to fetch a corpse from within the chamber. He knew that while he had bought himself another chance, it would be his last. The Archon's mood swings from murderous rage to dark amusement were all part of a manipulative act. Canrick knew that despite the impression of wildly out-of-control emotions, the Archon was always making moves in a greater game. His unpredictability forced all around him to constantly be on edge, hoping to guess what might please or anger him. All who graced the court of the Red Hand had witnessed the Archon's madness. Once he had rewarded a courtier with a vast fortune for making him laugh once, and another time he had skinned a guest who wore a colour he disliked. 
The Archon's court was terrified of him because of his wild mood, but they would even be even more terrified if they knew that what they mistook for erratic emotional outbursts were all a carefully constructed facade to disguise in millennia-long plots. The homunculus's racks re-emerged from the chamber, carrying between them a rigid, silver-stained young corpse dressed in a servant's garb. I shall inform you when I have successfully revified the servant's corpse. It will be restrained in a torture cell for you. No, the Archon interrupted. Bring the creature to the council room as soon as it can talk. I will be done in the torture cells by the time you are ready. Of course, my lord. The homunculus bowed before departing, his racks following close behind. Behind him, he heard the Archon calling out to his chief bodyguard. Raytan! The Archon motioned towards the still kneeling Linnaean. Boxer! A flash of fear crossed the normally impassive portion features of the Lemaean as the Claybeck marched towards her. Jared clutched his yeah. knees to his naked chest. <clears throat> the small room stank of death. Most people thought death smelt vile immediately, like rotting meat or soured milk. And eventually it did. But first, death stank of fear. The scent of fear was a process an evolving perfume that the Dark Lords of the Tower had learned to savor. A sweet, desperate sweat that hugged the body even after the inevitable happened. All the servants and slaves of this vast tower smelt softly to the sl smelt softly of slow death, but now he stank of it. He fancied for millennia others like him had embedded their scent into the very stones of this cell. He tried to keep his breath shallow, breathing shallow, even as panic constantly threatened to overwhelm him, encourage him encouraging him to take a deep gas gasping breath. The torturer's apprentices had already worked him over a few times without questions, just softening him up for the actual interrogation to come. His ribs were bruised from where shock needles had scraped against bone, and his wrists were bloody, marked by the restraints that, ha that he had hung from. The nerve-shredding pain of the needles nearly drove him mad as he desperately thought an unconsciousness that never came. His endless screaming had left his throat raw. Other that during these other uh, other than during these brief tortures, he sat silently in the dark since the incubi guards had uh, deposited him here. He'd been marched through the tower alongside Cabalite guards. They had distanced the descended the vast tower. None who saw them approached or questioned for fear of being swept into their fate. They spoke to no one as they had seen uh, they had been commanded by the court homunculus, the cold mask of the incubi ensuring their obedience. Jared knew he had been fortunate to survive his rescendance in these halls. So vast was the tower and expansive its levels that even just two floors dedicated to the pursuit and refinement of suffering was enough space to hold thousands of prisoners, hundreds of rooms filled with instruments of tortures. torture. He was bound for pain like he had never known before. He had no delusion about that. His only hope was that he, had, he was handled over to a skilled practitioner. The Drakari torturers were the closest thing the tower had to a medic, held to a medic of the Ordo of Officio Medicae. But... Where those kindly servants of the Imperium could soothe pain and heal the sick, the Jakari equivalent was a sadistic reflection. They knew well how to balance 
They knew well the balance of life and death, skilled in taking the victim close to the edge and bringing him back again. Such an intimate knowledge of biology could could be turned on its head easily enough, and they would at times be called upon to save a life, even if it was antithetical to their natures. Jared knew until his very edge of death, there was nothing he could do to prevent this. Jakari philosophy held that no testimony could be trusted unless it was extracted and confirmed through torture. The only truth in this perverse city was found in the pain, was found in that pain. His only hope was that he would be brought back from the edge of death, or perhaps he didn't hope that. A quiet voice in the corner of mind hinted at a darker hope. The voice had grown louder the longer he sat in the dark, waiting. The sound of the door unlocking, overwhelming, overwhelming Jar Jared, <laughs> panic, with panic, uh, and he winced as he began to breathe rapidly. He forced himself to uncurl his knee, moved, he forced himself to uncurl and moved to his knees, pressing his head on the floor, a position of complete supplication. The door swung open in a shadowy, uh, from the shadowy corridor, corridor, an unseen voice commanded, follow. Jared scrambled forward, heedless of the shooting pain, seeking to obey as swiftly as possible. By the time he reached the doorway, the jailer had already began to walk away, confident that the slave would follow. Disobedience, even hesitation, was met with such, such swift suffering that no slave would consider disobeying a master's command. The light cast by the master's hovering torch flickered dimly, as even in the hope of light was unwelcome here. Stumbling and clutch, cr clutching his ribs, he wheezed from the effort of keeping up with the striding master who led him to his fate. The dingy corridor was suddenly filled with light as the master opened an armored door, revealing the torturous lining the walls on either side of him. Standing silently in the darkness, awaiting instruction, the back, the black robes and hoods had camouflaged them to his simple human eyes. They waited with deadly intent. An apprentice torturer ushered in the last witness, some stumbling slave thing, before bowing and leaving to join his colleagues waiting outside. The Archon watched impassively, from a throne upon a raised dais in the centre of the chamber, studying the guards who had already been gathered. Each of them was silently kneeling before their lord, necks bent low. The human slave fell into place on the floor, kneeling at the very back of the pack of witnesses. All had been stripped of their armour and given nothing to replace it. Some were stained with blood and had bruising upon their flesh, signs of preliminary torture they had already undergone. Beside the Archon's throne stood Commander Rajal, captain of the Cablite Tower Guard, summoned to speak for the failings of her troops. Her highly ornate black armour was covered in gold script, each collection of swirling letters the name of an enemy commander as he had personally bested in battle. A floor-length blood-red cloak hung from her shoulders, attacked with jewel steel clasps while her hands rested upon a pair of front-holstered blast pistols. Resting in the shadows behind them all hovered the Lord's ever-present bodyguard, Retan, still and silent. The Archon was tapping his fingers upon a black iron trunk which floated silently just above the floor next to him. The walls of the circular chamber were decorated with all manners of torture devices. 
rusted chains and hooks hung empty, waiting for new victims. Collections of finely crafted blades sat in display cases, shining brightly, twinkling in the flickering light of floating balls of flame which illuminated the chamber. More exotic contraptions defied easy identification, but all implied an ability to cause immeasurable pain. An almost imperceptive angle of the floor meant any fluids would naturally flow from the centre of the room out to the edge where a channel ringed the floor, slotted grates, some still matted with hair and clotted blood, would provide drainage into the vast sewers and eventually into the great corrupted canals and rivers of Comara. For a long moment, the chamber was silent, save for the steady beat of the Lord's finger upon the surface of the trunk. Rigel, the Lord Archon said, stopping the steady thrum and raising to his feet. My lord, the commander straightened, clasping her hands behind her back and holding her head high. You oversee my tower guard training and discipline, do you not? I do, my lord. You know each of them by sight, raising them from the vats in which they are grown until they first don their armour, do you not? I do, my lord, came the same rote response. Then who, pray tell, are these failures kneeling before me? They are some of our newest fat-grown initiates, my lord. They have only recently completed training. Unblooded? Yes, my lord. They have not yet served in conflict. Then explain to me why of all my exceedingly loyal and well-trained guards, this collection of untested incompetence were getting drunk on my daughter's landing rather than attending to their duty. Why were they not within her chamber, guarding her and her guests? That is something I also wished to know, she responded with a hiss of anger directed at the kneeling guards. Then by all means, the Archon stepped towards the silent trembling guards, ask them. Rigel marched to the most senior of her guards, the ones he knew to be the leader of this sad group. The commander swang her armoured foot with full force directly into the face of the kneeling warrior. With a satisfying snap, bone broke and the Drakari was laid flat on his back. Why were you not within her chamber? Rigel shouted down at the guard, now struggling to stem the bleeding from his erect nose and hold in his loose teeth. She told us to leave, the guard spat through a ruined mouth, blood running in rivets down his face. What do you mean? The mistress told us to leave. She gathered us along with her staff and explained precisely what she wanted. The guard swallowed blood. She personally selected my unit to be her guard. We followed our training. Once the slaves have finished furnishing the chamber and setting up a Surai's various pleasure devices, we swept and secured the room. Then we were commanded to wait outside her door. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And you didn't think to question that? Rigel ground. I know it was unusual, but... The guard struggled to find the word to explain himself before trading off with, We were following orders. And who else can corroborate this? The Archon's cold voice interrupted the feeble attempt at justification. Anyone apart from your fellow failures? My lord, the bleeding warrior stammered. No one who we witnessed enter that chamber ever left it. That is true, the Clavex hissed from the shadows. All of your daughter's personal star and invited guests were accounted for among the dead within the chamber. So no one can corroborate this story. The Archon rested a hand on the back of his throne, thinking. We shall see if the story is consistent, my lord, Rigel said, turning back to the kneeling guards, when they are put to the knife. Tapping the headrest of his throne, the Archon pondered for a moment. Everything they are saying matches with what we have learned so far, but perhaps there is something that will reveal itself upon the torturous tables. Question them all. He paused for a moment. But only allow half to die. The other half can serve as practice targets for others you are training. Perhaps it will inspire the new acolytes to be more diligent in their duties. Rigel nodded her understanding, including the slave. It must never be allowed to speak what it has seen. Take its tongue, then it can get back to its duties. It clearly has nothing to do with this. Having passed judgment, the Archon did not linger. With much still needing his attention, he marched towards the doorway, followed closely by his bodyguard and the silent, hovering chest. Throwing open the doors, he addressed the torturers who had gathered to await his instruction. The commander knows what I expect of you, was the Archon's only command to them as he departed. Behind him, cries of, we were following orders, and we had nothing to do with her death, were cut short by the repeated sound of the commander's iron boots connecting with soft flesh. The torturers filed into the room, each selecting their subject. All the noise drowned out the desperate weeping of a single lone human. Long hours passed in the vast tower. An energetic buzz filled it from the sunken foundation to the airy heights. Word had finally leaked out that the death of the Archon's daughter. In the utter, uppermost reaches of the elevator's spires, the Archon paced within his council chambers, listening to the various hypotheses being pos- uh, positioned by his closest advisors. Rajel wiped the remaining blood from her armor onto the cloth from of her cloak as she call as she called for war. Arguing against the Lord's Master of the Spies, who countered with the idea of a targeted assassination of all subjects. Suspects. While the Tower's diplomats cautioned against hasty actions. In the corner of the council room, the former mistress of poisons remained strapped within the iron-bound trunk. It hovered, waiting for his final judgment of its occupant. No, No noise reached her, no sound of argument, nothing. Even as she wasted away in the sensory deprivation of the silent blackness within, her soul slowly being leached away, she knew a worse fate awaited her if the Lord decided against her. 
The great and good of the tower filled the vast antechambers of the Archon's private levels, awaiting his final judgment and direction. Each of them patiently waited for the opportunity to prove their fervent dedication to their lord, while carefully eyeing each other as potential conspirators in the terrible crime they all know nothing knew of, now know of. Far below in the arachnid lair of the homunculus, a confused, lowborn servant opened their new eyes, blinking around, blinking as they gazed up at the endless biological depths of machinery that had brought it back to life. A sharp two smile split. Canarac's face uh, as he dropped the bloody remains of the tortured slave. At last, he had witnessed to present to the he had a witness to present to the Archon, someone who had been within the chamber itself when the daughter had died. Through the many floors of the Jakari uh archaeology blood flowed as a fractional infighting broke out. What what is that one word? I should jump back to that. I want to learn that. Archaeo Archaeology. Archaeology. It's a, a name for basically a self-contained city. Okay, okay. It's like a building that's its own city. Yeah. Okay, cool. Through the many floors of the Drakari pocket, blood flowed as a fractional infighting broke out. Gardens, trading floors, luxurious apartments, all the floors of the vertical kingdom descended into violence. Various groups sought to take advantage of the temporary state of disorder and the Archon's distraction. Old scores were settled and new vendettas started as every Drakari in the Tower of the Red Hand sought to seal some advantage before the iron-gloved order of the Archon returned. The troops that normally enforce strict discipline within the Tower hurried to muster mustering points, gathering on landing platforms or forming vast ranks before mighty gates. War was sure to come to the Archon's rage. War was sure to come once the Archon's rage had settled upon the suspected uh, uh, perpetrator. Perpetrator. Wow. Maybe I smoke too much weed. That's the issue. Perpetrator. <laughs> and then they would be ready. Gerard reached out a hand to steady himself. Spasms of phantom pain ran down his spine. He knew his mind would continue to torture him with the memory long after his body had recovered from the agony he had been subjected to. The ripped stump within his mouth had been cauterized, but no further kindness had been shown to him. He suspected that even that had only been done to make sure he had not bled death on the floor of his cell where they had held him, while a disinterested-looking torturer had forced the sharp pincers into his mouth. He had prayed. For the first time in what felt like years, he had cried out to the God Emperor to help him. But just as before, no help came. No divine intervention, no angels of the emperor. He thought he had lost his faith long ago, but cruel knives had cut deep enough to drag it up, just for it to be proven meaningless once again. His last words had been a scream to he who sat upon the golden throne, whom as a child he had been taught loved him and all of mankind. He had lain there in the dark, the cell door left open for him to leave when he was able. He was forgotten of no more interest. If he could have spoken, then he would have cursed the god-emperor who had abandoned him, who had never shown him salvation or even a moment of kindness. Instead, Gerard screamed incoherently into the dark for what felt like hours, before dragging himself to his feet and stumbling to one of the winding staircases that would lead him out of this level. 
the sound of splinterfire echoing from above and below. Gerard felt his way more by memory than sight, following the curved walls of the tower. Masters of the tower engaged in running fireflights through the vast corridors, cowered in place when the violence ran past him. Chaos had erupted, bodies lay where they had fallen, even the accursed body snatchers who thrived during such times waited to emerge from the depth of the tower, judging the risk still too high. His hand groped for a catch hidden behind a hanging tapestry he recognised. With a gentle pull, a door swung away from him, revealing the dimly lit servants' paths and corridors. He let out a sigh as he stumbled into the relative safety of the dark pathways and narrow stairs that allow slaves to go about their businesses without bothering the masters. These passageways were poorly kept, so it did not surprise Gerard when he came upon a length of passage that was where the dim lighting had failed completely. He walked blindly forward, one arm touching the cold stone to steady himself. He stopped as his dull human eyes detected the outline of a figure before him, barely an arm's length ahead. Gerard froze in shock, his eyes adjusting just enough to make up the dim glow emanating from an armoured eyeslit before him. The masters never came this way. The beast masters, sometimes proud in the dark, using the slaves to train up some new hunting creature of theirs, but certainly not during a time like this. Yet before him stood a Drukhari figure, played in the close-fitting armour of a warrior. Gerard blinked, the flash of light revealed that it was not just one figure. For the briefest instant, the entire corridor was illuminated in dancing shadow, revealing a long line of armoured figures. However, they did not wear the pitch black of his lord's armour, stained with a bloody red hand. Rather, they wore silver grey. The light flashed off their silver scale armour, a long line running back into the dark. All this he saw thanks to the brief illumination afforded by the discharging rifle. Toxin coated shards ripped through his chest as the corridor sank back into darkness. He closed his eyes for the last time, a final silent scream frozen upon his face. Wow, okay, so that's a crazy story. So I thought this was the final part, but we got one more in us, eh? There's one more. This is the penultimate part. So this is basically everything, and it's coming to the conclusion next, basically. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you added one more key detail at the very end there with those gray-silvered armor folk, too. That's like kind of like, hmm. Yeah, the idea effectively is that this part will... We're basically, because we're moving towards the end, it's done to bring in some of the earlier elements. Yeah. So if you remember Gerard was the human servant carrying the drinks up at the very beginning of the story. Okay. We basically got caught up with the other guards and everyone kind of being there when the door opened. Yeah. So he was one of the witnesses. So the poor poor guy basically got caught up with everyone else and thrown in the torch cells as well. <laughs> so it's almost like this poor guy who clearly had nothing to do with any of it. He just yeah. got dragged into it and it's gone horribly for him. <laughs> um on the on the conversation of torture like I like that you didn't go into it. You you described enough detail of the shittiness that would happen without actually having to go into like you don't need Yeah, it. you don't need the torture porn thing. I've never been a fan of like the Saw films and stuff like that. And exactly. That, just, you don't need to. Also things you can imagine are always gonna be scarier than the stuff that anyone actually right? <laughs> wow, that's and it, like a true torturer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's just about hinting at it it's basically yeah. just saying like well, no torch half them to death 
Yeah. However you do it, it doesn't really yeah. matter. I, I really like that. Like the, you know, you, you don't need to show sex scenes. Sometimes you can just give the implication of a sex scene. You can just give the implication yeah. of extreme violence about to happen. Yeah. And I think sometimes, no, especially someone like Narcon, who's been doing this forever and <laughs> he's like at the top of the food chain, it's not like he's going to get involved in it himself. Yeah. Like he's not going to get his hands dirty. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't need to be there. He's got other stuff to do. He's got a million slaves if he wants to get involved. Like he could do it anytime. He, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's like ordinary torture is a bit beneath him. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the dialogue. Um, and just how every character was able to feel different. Like the Archon felt different. Of course, you get cowering servants who feel like very different, obviously. Um, mm. How much character development do you feel like you put? Like when you're writing this out, do you have like a little paragraph about each kind of guy or? Uh, for a short thing like this, I try and just give everyone almost like three or four like their, of their own things. Like where are they from? What is it they're interested in? What are they trying to achieve? Okay. So, like, Can Canrick, the homunculus, basically for him, it's like, you know, he, I think it was in chapter two, he talked about basically he used to be a member of a, like, a, um, one of the homunculus coppins, and he basically split away from that to do his own thing, yeah. and they never really forgave him for it, but he doesn't give a fuck. He just basically wants the yeah. resources to do his own weird experiment stuff with his happy little spider legs. <laughs> uh, so he just, he, he's about, no, basically, I'll do my job. I want to, you know, do horrific experiments. <laughs> And, you know, I enjoy having this power and this freedom from not being a member of a coven, but, you know, being protected by this super powerful cabal. So he's, kind of, yeah. he's invested in the cabal because it gives him what he wants. Yeah. Um, I've like, said it before the, the and Lemian... I'll say it again, those, uh, that homunculus, like, erected scenes of him just clinking and crawling, like, just true <laughs> horror, man. I love it. Yeah, well, that's what the great great thing about the homunculus is. You know, you just play with it. It can be everything. And there's just all these weird little bits of lore. Like one of the homunculus things, the fact they think it's you no, know, uh, they like they think it's abhorrent to like walk on your own legs. The whole <laughs> yeah. thing about his atrophied legs, they think it's like beneath them to actually use <laughs> their own legs. They're like, what kind of you no know, peasant actually walks? Yeah, so yeah. So they have this whole thing about not letting their legs touch the ground. So even like here, when he was like kneeling, he was still just not quite touching. <laughs> yeah, just little wow. things like that that yeah. you kind of know it means something to him yeah no it, it clearly shows that each one of these characters is thought of what were those three points again that you said who are they uh, kind of what do they want and kind of where do they come from so it's like it's a way of like finding what's their motivation what matters to them yeah and i mean the, the archon note references the fact that basically plays up this like emotional instability aspect of like it keeps people on edge if they don't know what, they <laughs> yeah. and what makes them and that way, everyone's always trying to dull guess him the whole time. So he can be playing people the whole time. And he can just be totally irrational. But actually, it's all really carefully planned. Yeah, like I imagine so, when that night when he's alone and no one's watching, he goes, you know, he sits on a chair, puts his feet up. He's perfectly refined or whatever, you know, does, like very different person <laughs> than in public. Yeah, and it kind of just, it hints at that. Like in public, you know, it talks about, you know, him, you know, someone made him laugh. So he gave him like a massive fortune whereas someone else wore a color he said he didn't like so he talked <laughs> them to that it's kind of like it's totally irrational but the real secret is the fact that it's actually all rational it's all part yeah. of the play uh so just one like of the tower gambling games is yeah so it's like yeah so the game today is we send 10 people in with different uh pets 
And we know eight of them are going to die. One's going to just get tortured, but one will win something very cool. Who's in? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a guy who would be 100% behind the Hunger Games. He's <laughs> yeah, a huge yeah. fan of that. But, yeah, yeah let, let's get, you know, 20 children in a room and make them fight to the death. Yeah. Uh, another yeah. thing I so, really... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just So, yeah, so the idea is hopefully to give everyone their own motivation, their own particular way of talking as well. Is I, I try and give them certain mannerisms in the way they speak to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that way, kind of hopefully gives them a, their own slightly different voice when they're talking. So, like, we only had the um, Rigel, the commander of the guard. We've only had her in for a little bit. Yeah. But all her responses are very kind of formal and quite kind of almost stiff. Yeah, so yeah. So she kind of, the idea being, like, you're trying yeah. to play her up as a very military character. Yeah, even the way you describe her, like, you know, she's wearing the armor, she's standing at attention, both hands are on the pistol, she's ready to go. Yeah, but she'll also kick someone in the face and break their nose. It's like, kind <laughs> yeah, of like yeah. it's very, very calm and controlled, and then extreme violence, and then straight yeah. back to calm and controlled again because he's yeah. that kind of a figure. Yeah, no, it, it's very cool. Um, another scene I liked was uh, I think of just like ghost solving mystery shows where like this person was murdered, so we have to talk to the spirits to figure out yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is like the extreme 40k version of it where it's like, let's literally resurrect them from the dead. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of it. It's going to the final chapter. You now know that you've actually got someone who is in the room who's back. So you've got this servant who's just been resurrected. So you've actually now basically going to the final chapter, you, you have a witness. You know that there's some group already in the tower. Yeah, and it's kind of like right. Well, how did they get in the tower? Who are they? What's the importance about you know the color of the armor they're wearing, for example? Yeah, um, you know that the you know you know all this other stuff like the guards have explained you know what they were ordered to do. So you basically you've got all the pieces now, and the the point in the next one is basically try and bring them all together and have that yeah. you know you're always looking for that aha moment like <laughs> oh these things all actually link up. Yeah, yeah, and this final piece is basically all the last pieces. It just almost, almost kind of confirming a few pieces as well. It's yeah, almost yeah. like, well, can you trust that piece of information? It's like, yes, you've had it confirmed by two separate things now. So yes, two separate tortured people have confirmed this. So you know it's got to be true. <laughs> um, so you can, and also the fact is, you know that poor Gerard was basically always just this kind of this almost like narrative device. Poor guy. Yeah, yeah. He was a chance to kind of see it from that human's perspective. And I thought just throwing in a bit of final blasphemy, because, you know, I think someone who's been indoctrinated in the Empire from birth, they're going to, right, they believe in the God Emperor, but basically it's never worked out for him. It's never helped him. And, and ultimately, like, that's like the Jakari's ultimate plan is, like, give make them give up all hope. That's when you know yeah. you've truly won. Like, And to give up, like, religion, you know you've won at that point. Yeah, it just kind of speaks about that he is just utterly and totally broken by this. Yeah, yeah. And that was that kind of almost when I think sometimes when you're doing like a big story, this story is trying to like be quite kind of a big one in a way. It's a big murder mystery thing. I think yeah. it's really nice to have like a small character sometimes that kind of brings it back down. To, yeah. It's just one poor guy and that whole bit about him basically sitting in a cell waiting yeah. and then being thrown in. And then you, you shift the perspective to the Archon side of it, it's like just some small slave that got thrown in the back. They're not important. Yeah, because yeah, all these other big characters are, yeah, like these big powerful characters like homunculuses and masters of poison and poisoners and like, yeah, so oh. it's nice to bring it back down, 
grounded for a second. Yeah, man, you 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 truly have a craft for for writing. And even the last time we talked, like listening to you set up how and when to reveal different elements of story writing, and then yeah, this fourth fourth part, and like it's very interesting hearing you talk about it. Well, fingers crossed the the final part brings it all back together for you. Like yeah. I said, I've got it sitting in my G drive. I'm going to give it another kind of read over and try and catch any last typos or mistakes. Nice. And we'll do that off to you and we'll see if it makes sense. Fingers crossed. That's, that's <laughs> it's going to be you guys at the end who actually decide whether this works out or not. Yeah, oh, that will be interesting. Okay, so at the end, I think just for your own sake, just say the warp did it. <laughs> oh god that would be so yeah it was it was zinch all along well i can't argue god. with that it's a shitty ending but i can't argue oh, with okay it. <laughs> sure, sure. so what i'll do is I'll, I'll i'll cut everything i've written i'm going to end it with and then gerard woke up <laughs> like, no. oh what a terrible no. dream <laughs> <laughs> oh god if it was april 1st that's what I oh said man <laughs> No, I, I'm excited, man. The The final thing I liked about your story was just watching that tower erupt into like the, the, the mm. violence and just like the absolute chaos. But in a way, it's all controlled because they know kind of like this is the, this... the violence and then yeah. we go back to calm. So now we're repositioning all the ranks. That, yeah. That's kind of it. It's like, no, like, no, the Archons distract by this. All yeah. of like the kind of the most powerful people in the tower being gathered up by the Archons, basically decide who to shoot in the back of the head. So everyone else, now all the middle people are like, oh, now's our chance. Now we can like, no, yeah. let's kill off that annoying, you know, middle management person and take it. <laughs> exactly. And, so basically it's all this like infighting, but they know they've got this brief window before uh, it just like gets clamped down again. Yeah. And it's cool too. Like, yeah, it's that brief window where it's like, yeah, any murders are not going to be investigating this time. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. So yeah, make your moves. Um, yeah. very cool, man. I, I really like your story. When you have part five written up, shoot me a message and we'll read it off together. Outstanding. And you can tell me if it all comes together and, yeah. and I can answer questions for you. You can tell me what doesn't make sense and I can try and desperately wreck on it. But, uh, fingers crossed it all holds together and we'll give you the conclusion. Sounds good. Uh, if you guys have stories that you would like to submit, you can submit to lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to throw me a dollar on Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore. Uh, Will, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Hey, more, more than welcome, mate. It's delightful to be back on air. And yeah, looking forward to the final part. Yes, me too. All right, adios, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode.